Our scripture reading this morning comes from Exodus chapter 3, and I'll be starting in verse 1 all the way down to 12 in the Common English Bible. Moses was taking care of the flock for his father-in-law, Jethro, Midian's priest. He led his flock out to the edge of the desert, and he came to God's mountain called Horeb. The Lord's messenger appeared to him in a flame of fire in the middle of a bush. Moses saw that the bush was in flames, but it didn't burn up. Then Moses said to himself, let me check out this amazing sight and find out why the bush is not burning. When the Lord saw that he was coming to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, I'm here. Then the Lord said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because you are standing on holy ground. He continued, I am the God of your father, Abraham's God, Isaac's God, and Jacob's God. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because they're slave masters. I know about their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land and bring them to a good and broad land, a land that's full of milk and honey, a place where Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites all live. Now the Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen just how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to, take, to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I'll be with you. And this will show that I'm the one who sent you. After you bring the people out of Egypt, you will come back and worship God on this mountain. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Like I'm at a meeting of all these people that don't turn their mics on. I'm Steve Hyduke. I left my mic off. Um, I'm Steve Hyduke. For all of those in streaming world, pastor appointed here at Ovilla United Methodist Church. I'm glad you're here uh, worshiping with us this morning. I'm glad the band is back together. Isn't that a line in a movie someplace? Was it the Blues Brothers that went to get the band back together? Okay, some of you are old enough to get that one. Um, yeah, the first time, this, this next Sunday, I think, marks the actual ye- year to the day that we didn't do this anymore. So this has been exactly one year, and it's been a year of difference and change, um, some confusion, some sadness, some frustration, some anger, um, but it's also a year that you might have noticed this, that almost nothing's gone the way we planned. Is that just me? Okay. Well, here's the good news in that, because I don't need to tell you the bad news about things not going the way you planned. The good news is that the less control we have of all that's going on in our lives, the more room there is for God to do things in our lives. Because I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one here that if I think everything's rolling along smooth, I don't, it's harder for me to make space for God to do what God needs to do. And no matter how smooth things are, there's still stuff God needs to do. So, may God work in the life of this church and in our lives when things are unsettled and unsure and we're frustrated and angry. And may God work with us when we think we got smooth sailing. 
And God, could we have a little bit of that smooth sailing for a while? Please pray with me. Good and great God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Because God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So my first car was a 1965 Ford Fairlane. It was not really mine. It was something that my brother and I got to share. Uh, He's just 14 months older than I am. And uh, one of the first things we did on this car was we got a honk if you love Jesus and put it square in the middle of the bottom of the back window. So people started honking at us. So one of the next quick things we did quickly with the car was take the bumper sticker off because I will confess I did not always remember why people were honking, and they seemed to be honking a lot. So my response to people honking at us in the 65 Ford Fairlane was not always all that good. So rather than cripple the witness of having a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker on the car, I think I remember we took it off pretty quickly, or maybe I just wasn't allowed to drive. But if you know 65 Ford Fairlane, I mean, there was room under the hood that you could climb in there and have lunch. There were big chrome bumpers on the front and the back. And there was not, when you looked in the mirror, and there's only one side mirror, there was not a thing that said, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. You just had to take it like you saw it. I like to tell that bumper sticker story. I don't know if I've already told it here or not. But, you know, we get stories in our lives that that we learn something from, and so we want to share them with other people. I'm not the only one, and it's not just old people, young people who might be listening. It's not just old people. In fact, if you're old enough to still be following this message, you're old enough to have some kind of memory in your past that you've learned from. So, if I start to tell a story, and you've heard the story before, feel free to stop me. Now, I don't so much mean that while I'm preaching, although it's happened before. When I was chaplain at the Methodist Children's Home in Waco, I started a a message one Sunday morning with a story, okay? And the chapel's full of at-risk adolescents and somewhat at-risk staff, but that's a different story. So I started into the story, and I kid you not, five seconds into the story, uh, about halfway back on... The stage right side, I hear about this loud. You already told us that one. One of the great things about serving at the Methodist Children's Home, it was a, was, it was a congregation full of people that didn't know how you're supposed to behave in church. I've been in church all my life, so I know how you're supposed to behave in church. But I got to tell you, it's kind of refreshing to deal with a whole bunch of people that don't know that. Feel free not to call me out out loud during the sermon. Also, feel free, if you dare, to call me out during the sermon. Especially if it's, uh, you already told us that one, but, but I knew I had told this story before. But I was telling it this time for a different point. Do you, you have stories in your life that there's more than one point to? But you kind of got to tell the whole story to, give, to set the stage? And those multiple different points don't always go together in the same sermon. So you have to tell the story again. And 
Besides that, not everybody shows up every Sunday. Average now for what is considered active, committed church people is to show up one to two Sundays a month. And I don't know if that means you, you're, in, you're here in person and or online attending one or two Sundays a month. So the, the frequency of attendance requires that we who do this do some overlapping of stories. You got a little bit of the story of Moses this morning in the reading that Julia read, and did you catch how smoothly and seamlessly she went through the names of all those ancient Near Eastern peoples? And many of you silently gave thanks that you weren't reading that list in front of all these people and on the internet. I never picked scriptures like that on purpose, but I was grateful that, I, that, that the scriptures picked this week had those things and um, that Julia was able to handle that like a professional, which might go into the list of stories that I have to tell. I don't know. But I want to invite you to think about all the stories that you have to tell and how you're carrying them with you. Because we all do carry these stories with us. And some of you might tell more often than others. And some of you might have already had people tell us, tell you, you've already told us that one. And some of them, this is from other people. So, sometimes you tell your story and somebody might want to tell you to get over it. Have you ever had that? Or you might have listened to somebody else's story and maybe it's your first time, and all that you can think of to tell them is you pull Don Henley and Glenn Fry out of your back pocket and you say, get over it. Except, I want to talk to you this morning about leaving your past behind, but I, I explicitly do not want to tell you to get over your past. Because I've learned that um, telling somebody to get over it is almost never useful. And I remember this now that I'm an old enough person to tell other people to get over it, that I bet old people told me to get over it sometimes when I was young too. But I don't know that for sure because I didn't listen to them. Which is probably a good lesson for us all because I bet you didn't listen to them either. So all the things that we don't want to listen to other people tell us, maybe we could just stop telling them those things too. So, I want to talk to you this morning about how much you're looking in the rearview mirrors of your life. Because sometimes, if we're honest, we catch ourselves looking way too much in the rearview mirrors of our lives and not looking forward about what's coming ahead. And I want to argue this, that leaving the past behind us is one of the most important and maybe one of the most redeeming and healing aspects of following Jesus, which is what we're about, right? The, the, the sermon series for this month is, or for this series, Lent is the journey, the journey of following Jesus. So we're looking at following Jesus as a journey because following Jesus is not an event. It's not something that happens to you at one point in your life and then everything's set. Following Jesus is also has a, it's a journey that has a destination. And the destination of our journey of following Jesus is Jesus himself. The destination of our journey is not heaven. Because if we get focused on heaven, it's easy to lose sight of Jesus. 
But if we focus on Jesus, we cannot and will not miss out on heaven. So then last week, I added uh, talking about our journey and what we have to pack. And it's real easy what Jesus tells us to pack for our journey that is following Jesus. And that is nothing. We are, as people who follow Jesus, expected or required or commanded to, to have the kind of relationships, to be the kind of people who would have relationships with people to whom we're sent to share the good news, that they may or may not want to hear the good news, but they at least treat us well enough that we don't have to carry stuff for ourselves. We don't have to carry extra clothes. We don't have to carry food. We don't have to carry a bedroll. We're to have the kinds of relationships with people that we're sharing the good news with that we can rely on and trust them to provide these things. So that's, we talked about what we have to carry. This week, I want to talk about what to leave behind, what not to carry with you. And the thing, if you have not already gotten there, to leave behind is your past. Don't carry your past with you. Although, I'm not saying don't carry the life lessons that you've learned over the years with you. I'm saying don't let all that other stuff, the regret, the voice that tells you that some event in your past life defines you, the voice that tells you if only you had or you should have, all that aspect of the past, let it go because you don't need it and it does not help you follow Jesus in any way. I mean, imagine you're Moses. In this story, in Exodus chapter 3, you're out tending your father-in-law's flock. And God says to you, not, not, just, not just some random God, but the God. There were a lot of gods in those days. There are arguably a lot of gods in these days. But this, this God that came to Moses said, identified himself as the God of your ancestors. And he says to you, in Exodus 3, way at the front of the Bible where I had a marker that's not working. I've clearly seen my people oppressed in Egypt. I've heard their cry of injustice because of their slave masters. I know their pain. I've come down to rescue them from the Egyptians in order to take them out of that land. I'm going to skip over because Julia already did a great job of reading all those names. The Israelites' cries of injustice have reached me. I've seen how much the Egyptians have oppressed them. So get going, God says to Moses. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So, did you catch how Moses replied? He said, who am I to go to Pharaoh to bring all the Israelites out of Egypt? That's all he said. Who am I to go to Pharaoh? You remember what, what Moses could have said. Don't you? you know Moses' backstory. I mean, you know the part of the story that is, that, that is in the movies, how Moses is born to a Hebrew woman who's not allowed to have babies because Pharaoh is intimidated by the Hebrew slaves. So she puts him in an ark, um, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. So Moses is raised at Pharaoh's daughter, which is awesome for a backstory. But then Moses kills an Egyptian who's beating up a Hebrew slave. And then when he goes to break up the fight between two Hebrew slaves, one of them says, 
Are you going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? And so Moses knows his stories out there that other people know. Not only is he a murderer, but people know he's committed murder. So he does what a 40-year-old does if they've committed murder and leaves town. He runs for his life. He goes to a place where social media hasn't reached yet, the land of Midian, and nobody there knows his story. And he finds Zippor, and he gets married, and now he's living in Jethro, his father-in-law's household, and he's just out tending his sheep. And God comes to him and lays this story on him. And lays this call on him. And Moses didn't say, God, I can't do that. I'm a murderer. I can't go back to Egypt. Moses had several good things from his, several good reasons from his past to come look God in the face and say, you got to find somebody else. But all he said was, who am I to go? In response, God said, I'll be with you. And this will show you that I'm the one that's, who sent you. Bring the people back here to worship on this mountain. How would you have answered that? If God appeared to you in a bush that was burning but not consumed and wanted to send you back to some place in your life where you've done one of the worst things possible. And maybe you haven't committed murder. I'm going to assume that at least 70% of the people listening to my voice have not committed murder. And God makes some big call on your life do you throw up all kinds of excellent excuses? Because let's face it, most of us have plenty of excellent excuses not to do whatever God's calling us to do. You've used an excuse in the last week. I don't know what excuse you've used in the last week, but you have. Do you start with listing all the reasons that God really should find somebody else? Would you have told God all those things about your past that disqualify you? Even as you know that God knows all those things about your past that might disqualify you? I mean, whenever God makes a call in your life, God knows all of you better than you do, and God is calling you. When we remember, that, when we remember our past, but we aren't ruled by our past, then it doesn't get in our way of following Jesus. I think it's clear in the story that Moses remembered who he was and what he had done, but he didn't let it get in the way, really, of him following God and doing what God wanted him to do. We can't let our past get in our way. I fought and struggled with the call to pastoral ministry for years because there was this one aspect of it that, that just creeped me out and scared me to death. There was no way I can stand in front of a bunch of people and talk in any meaningful way. And I'd like to think God knew better. Then, several years into pastoral ministry, I, I called my district superintendent, Alan Goss, was my DS at the time, and said, um, my divorce is just about final, so I assume it's time for you to move me, because I thought that's how it worked in the United Methodist Church. I'd seen that that's how it worked in the United Methodist Church. A generation before that, a divorce meant you're out of ministry in the United Methodist Church. My DS told me, things don't always work that way anymore. I stayed in that appointment for two more years. Relatedly, I had miserably failed at a marriage, crashed and burned in my first marriage, man. Maybe crashed and burned in raising a child? I guess as long as your children, our children are alive, the jury's still out on that, right? 
And yet, God was not finished. I had to find ways to acknowledge my past, but not let it rule me. And somebody here might be thinking, yeah, but if you really knew me, if you knew me as well as I know me, if you knew all the stuff, not just that the really significant people in my life know, but the stuff I haven't even told them, if you knew all these things, then you'd understand why following Jesus for me is showing up at church one to two times a month because that's what committed people do. But other than that, Man, we got, we got people in the band, we got people on the church staff, we, we got other Christians. I can just live vicariously through them, if you really know me. But see, God knew all these things about Moses and called him. God knows all these things about you and still calls you to follow Jesus. This isn't just a Moses and you. You remember David, right? David, the man who the Bible says is a man after God's own heart. A man who committed rape on a married woman and then had her husband killed to cover it up, is a man after God's own heart. You remember Peter, right? Who denied Jesus three times? I mean, as long as everything's going good with Jesus, Peter is right there ready to fight for him. But as soon as it turns, Peter's like, oh, I don't know this man. And then Peter is the one who stands up on the day of Pentecost and says all those Bible words, they're even harder than the ones that Julia read this morning. I mean, you remember Paul. The story in the book of Acts goes from Paul holding the cloaks of people so they, their arms were limber enough to stone Stephen to death to Paul being the, one, the apostle who takes the gospel to the Gentiles. You know, Mary Magdalene, right? who goes, as legend has it, from being a prostitute to being the one person that all four Gospels tell us was the first person at the empty tomb on Jesus' morning. See, God knows your past. And it's not that God doesn't care about your past. It's that God doesn't let your past determine your present or your future. So all those things in your rearview mirror some of which are way closer than they appear, let them go. Learn the lessons. Leave them behind you. There's a few steps that are important for us learning these lessons to leave our past behind us. One is stop denying it. This doesn't mean put all your past problems and challenges and weaknesses and failures on social media, but it means stop denying them. To yourself and to people you trust. Acknowledge what you can understand about your past and what you can't understand about your past. Remember that as much as your past contributes to who you are today, your past does not define who you are today. God defines who you are today, and God's in the business of calling people whose past God knows. So your past is there. It's behind you. Let it stay there. Look at it every once in a while. You can't be a very good driver without looking in your mirrors occasionally. But you're also not a good driver if you're always looking in your mirrors. So leave your past behind you. Look at it occasionally to keep your perspective because it's a part of who you are. 
But when the events of your past start to derail you from what God is calling you to do, this journey that God is calling you on, remember the objects in your past are not as large as they appear. Please pray with me. God, help us give our pasts to you. Especially, God, the part that we hold against ourselves. The parts of our lives that still stir up regret and anger and frustration. Help us give those to you. Because, God, they have not stopped you from calling us to follow you. So we give ourselves to you, God and invite you to lead us to the future that you have for us. We give ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen.